Hi, I'm Honey. And I'm Honey. And this is High Tea. With two honeys. And this podcast is a glimpse into the world of two stone showgirls. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Honey Coco Bordeaux. And this is Honey Sabina. And this is High Tea with Two Honeys, Yay. episode four. Damn. Right? Is this Listen to us for four episodes. That's crazy, wow. y'all. Good for you. I'm <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> On this episode, we're going to be discussing jazz. All of the river man. <laughs> Y'all can't see right now, but I'm grooving. Honey, Sabina is doing a little jazz jig. Yep. <laughs> oh wait, that's the '60s. <laughs> yeah, like we're not reading some poetry. <laughs> Whoops. Going back a few decades. Um. So this was really fun to research because we're both big Jan. Jans of fast. <laughs> oh, Lord. Honey's too stoned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're fans of jazz. Jans a fan. <laughs> so I'm going to use that now. <laughs> so it was really fun. Um, I was familiar with some aspects of jazz history, but it was uh, really cool to learn more. And I wanted to open with a quote from my most favorite musician of all time, Nina Simone. Yes. Um, yes. Jazz is a white term to define black people. My music is black classical music. So I've always, uh, since I heard that quote, I started viewing jazz a little bit differently with, with that, with those eyes, because I think that's a very fair um, definition of jazz music. Yeah, no, uh, I mean... Yeah, I black mean, classical music. Jazz is very technical. I mean, I, Absolutely. Think, I think to, like, try to simplify it or to make it, you know, uh, seem lesser than or not as important as classical music is, I mean... <laughs> there are well, some jazz pieces the... that use, like, the same instruments as some classical pieces. Exactly. And, so... and it being looked down on or not being brought up to the height of classical music, like you said, is part of the successful propaganda of trying to make jazz seem. And, and, and I read also another quote was jazz was the original set satanic music, yep. which Anslinger tried to, uh, popularize. I read a quote from Buddy Bolden where he called it raggedy music. That's what they were calling it. Raggedy. Yeah, and he said, yeah. come on down and see this show. We're going to be playing all this raggedy music. And, uh, Oh, I should have brought I should have written the quote down, but he says something about, we're going to be playing this raggedy music and, um, the women are going to be shaking their asses or something like that. Or something. Oh, <laughs> He's like, and the woman that shakes her ass the best is going to get something. <laughs> it's, it's really so were they quote. trying I to need... sell it? Because I mean, I would go. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I think jazz today is viewed completely different than it did jazz back then. I don't think we can understand um, 
how it grew without having been in that culture. But yes, it should be recognized as uh, what it is, which is uh, black classical music and with some incredible history. Um, so I read several articles about it, and the one I am referencing the most is by Cannabis Culture. Uh, it's called Jazz, Cannabis, and a Climate of Slavery, Racism, and Xenophobia. So this is uh, starts kind of touching on what we talked about last episode, kind of where cannabis comes from and what it was used for. Um, so cannabis has been part of the American economy since the colonial era. Uh, the recreational use of cannabis was uh, used uh, in many South American and Caribbean cultures because it had been used to pacify slaves. That was part of the big motivator for even using it as a crop. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. It was originally introduced by the British to Jamaican slaves and by the Portuguese to Brazilian slaves. And because it was so profitable as a source of tax revenue and as an effective tool of pacifying the slaves... <laughs> Um, it gained popularity as a commercial crop. And its use, just like the its cultural ph- phenomena, became popularized in America by immigrants of color, like we talked about uh, last episode, and I think the one prior, uh, pr- predominantly people from the Caribbean uh, settling in New Orleans and Mexicans fleeing the Mexican Revolution. So that's kind of just a quick history of how... Oops, dropped my notes of how we came to uh, have it in our country. And then uh, about jazz a little bit. So um, jazz and cannabis. So we're going to talk about uh, the red light district of Storyville, which to be, yes, to be honest, (laughs) Honey Coco was the one who actually introduced me to Storyville and uh, inspired me to do research for a previous act I had done. Um, about a jazz song and the ladies of Storyville. So uh, Storyville is pretty much where uh, jazz was born, if you will. I will. Uh, So black musicians harnessed cannabis's power to create a new genre of music, and they called it jazz. It's all about improvisation, creativity, and the chemistry between musicians. So cannabis was incredibly important because that was part of the inspiration or the motivation between all these uh, musicians. And it helped them experiment with this new way of making music. Uh, Louis Armstrong, who is known as the father of jazz, described the way that cannabis made him feel to the other vipers. And we talked about vipers last time because of the... So that's kind of their slang name. Uh, He says, it makes you feel good, man. It relaxes you, makes you forget all about the bad things that happen to a Negro. It makes you feel wanted, and when you are with other tea smokers, it makes you feel a special kind of kinship. So it kind of illustrates how important it was, um, not just for the music, but for their relationship, for their friendship. um, I also read that, like, one of the reasons they smoked was because they had to, like, play these long sets, and Mm. if they drank they might get like drunk and then not be able to make it through the full set. But if they smoked, they could stay up and just, you know, keep playing. Yes. And uh, yeah, I read that. I mean, musicians wouldn't stop playing until the party was over. So right. Going to dawn. <laughs> so these bands would play eight to 10 hours straight. That's crazy. You're right. You can't, I mean, you can't drink. <laughs> you can't drink that long and no. still be able to play. You can smoke weed all night long though. However, yes. And pretty much be able to function just as, as long well as you paint or, yourself. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> yes, as long as you don't smoke your 10 joints right away, but right. like, smoke them throughout the night, you'll be fine. Um, yeah, so I, I love that. I love that quote because it, it, it tells you so much about uh, the environment at the time when, when jazz music- musicians were getting together. All right, so we're going to talk about the 1920s for a little bit. And I feel like most people think about the 1920s and think of the romanticized Roaring Twenties and the Great Gatsby and don't really think about the rest of the 60% of Americans during this time that were in abject poverty and desperation. And, of course, especially for black people um, who endured horrible racism as well during this time. Um. This is important so that you kind of get a, an idea of what it was like during the time that jazz was being, I guess, created, born. Um, the profound relationship between jazz and cannabis and race made jazz musicians a target for the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Mr. Ansinger, who we talked about uh, two episodes ago, I believe, um, he targeted jazz musicians like Louis Armstrong, Thelonious Monk, Count Basie. Duke Ellington and uh, famously Billie Holiday and basically ruined her career and her life. Um, This political warfare against uh, jazz musicians was solidified by the paradox that occurs when an aspect of a culture of color is scoffed at, but then treated and treated uh, as an illegitimate uh, source of entertainment uh, while at the same time appropriated by the culture and power, which happens today. You know, you're looked down on um, certain aspects of black culture are looked down on, but they're appropriated in every single way in cosmetics and your aesthetic and music and every single thing, aspect of our life. Anything that's fun. (laughs) 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 So that, of course, was happening uh, way back when. Um, The same pattern is evident in cannabis culture. Uh, even though black, Hispanic, and white folks consume cannabis at comparable amounts, it's blacks and Hispanics uh, that make up the dispor- disproportionate amount of marijuana possession, arrests, and convictions. No surprise there. And of course, who uh, is affected the most? The people of color who, have, who should never have been arrested because cannabis should not have been illegal in the first place. But that's another story. Yeah. I know I was reading... Um about I guess it was 1930 when Louisiana passed that their marijuana prohibition law mm-hmm. and that um at the time even though there was this whole like stigma that like Mexicans brought marijuana here that there was only I think 900 Mexicans living in New Orleans at the time it technically was like less than one percent of the population <laughs> <laughs> like and and they showed that 75% of the re- arrests for marijuana possession were by whites but of course african americans made up the majority of those that were convicted for you know possession or being under the influence at that time and i'm like wow so 1930 like almost yeah. 100 years ago and like still the same things are happening not surprising i mean we all have learned at least most of us that prison system is just another form of slavery yeah yeah um yeah so and then you know the relationship between cannabis and jazz makes you wonder if jazz would even exist if it weren't for cannabis because they were so entwined 
And honestly, if it weren't for the suffering that black people endured, um, it's unfortunate that it takes that much pain to create something beautiful, but you know, it's one of, it's one of those great things, uh, that black people have, have, have given us the beauty of jazz. The beauty of out of the struggle, trying to exactly constantly make our lemons into lemonade. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, of course, um, I'm just going to talk about a couple of celebrities, um, the most famous ones and just a tiny bit about their experience with cannabis. Um, of course, like I mentioned earlier, Louis Armstrong, um, so he mostly saw cannabis as a sort of medicine. He once told his biographer, Max Jones, that a cheap drunk with much better thoughts than one that's full of liquor. So I full-heartedly agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he actually had been arrested for cannabis, and he's one of the very few people who did not have his career ruined Um and he really didn't have to do much time at all for this infraction because the people who had, the, the cops that had arrested him were huge fans of his. Um, so he was arrested in November of 1930 uh, outside of the Cotton Club in California, in Culver City, California with his drummer Vic Burton. And the detectives uh, confided in him that the arrest was prompted by one of the band leaders locally who was jealous of his natural talent. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, ooh, indeed. Uh, he called uh, a stool pigeon on him. And so luckily the detectives were huge fans of his music and he only spent nine days in the downtown Los Angeles city jail. That's still a long time uh, to spend in jail. <laughs> like, absolutely. absolutely. Especially but, if you're like a fan of somebody, you're like, we're your biggest fan, but you go to jail. <laughs> you go to jail anyway, buddy. Right? <laughs> and then there's so there's so much information about Louis Armstrong, but I did find one quick story about him and Nixon that I thought was crazy. I'd never heard this before. Um, so he, Louis Armstrong had just finished his Goodwill Ambassadors tour of Asia and was at the airport headed toward customs. And he runs into Richard Nixon, who at the time was a huge fan. And Nixon scoffed and grabbed his suitcase saying, hey, ambassadors don't have to go through customs and walked right through customs with this suitcase. But unbeknownst to Nixon, it was filled with nearly three pounds of weed. (laughs) And he he grabbed it, completely bypassed customs, uh, unknowingly smuggling uh, cannabis in the United States for Louis Armstrong. Wow. (laughs) That is amazing. Yes. Uh, Um, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had kind of talked about Billie Holiday. There's so much information on her, too, and and specifically about her persecution. But this is just like a tiny little blip. If you want to research a little more on your own time, please do. Um, There's so much, so much um, information. So Miss Billie Holiday um, was also an avid cannabis smoker, and she used to take cab rides between her club sets to smoke cannabis because she knew that smoking anywhere near the club she was at was just asking for trouble. Um, She was infamously hounded by uh, who was then called the first drug czar, Henry Ann Singer. Uh, She became public enemy number one, according to him, uh, trying to demonize drugs and their users and taking advantage of Billie Holiday's heroin habit. And in 1947, he finally managed to arrest her on a narcotics charge and strip her of her cabaret license. 
which, uh, yeah, which snowballed into it, you know, took everything away from her. She, she died stripped of fame and was one of the first victims of the ongoing drug war, which is completely heartbreaking. Yes. She's one of my favorite. I know. So much emotion. So, well, like we talked, you know, pain creates beautiful art. So that's just a little, uh, just a tiny little glimpse into the history of jazz in New Orleans. Yeah. So what I saw was that New Orleans was kind of one of the first cities that they started like targeting as like a place where marijuana was taking over and they were worried about the blacks and right. being on I think they're worried about the blacks. <laughs> And so the next city on that list after New Orleans was New York, of course. Um, so, and Harlem, obviously. It's Mecca of African-American population in New York. Um, and at the time, most of the drugs in New York were distributed through independent peddlers or in tea pads, which were basically just like, different like it could have been an apartment or a room somewhere and it would basically be set up to go and smoke it actually sounds very wonderful um, and it said that it said that at one point they thought there were more of these tea pads than there were speakeasies in located in harlem um and that they would probably they would have like photos of nude women around on the walls oh, I and love stuff this. so and basically a, like a bar like a, like a weed yeah bar. yeah yeah and it would be like a nice ambient setting with like music playing you know like someplace where you could relax and it, one thing it did say was that like if you got too out of control like you would definitely get kicked out like they wanted people to go there and relax and be high oh. like be chill don't get crazy or you're gonna get out don't yeah. punch walls Yes, no belligerence. They wanted it to always be a sign of peace and tranquility. Um, so at the time, like this, we're talking about 1940s, there were three different grades of weed available. There was the cheapest that was known as sassafras, and that was American grown, and it was rather weak, um, which I guess we would call like dirt weed or swag or something like that. Uh, yeah, Reggie, regular. Yeah. <laughs> And the second, the second more potent was called Meserol or Mesrol. Um, and it was moderately priced. And it was actually, orig- it usually originated somewhere in Central or South America, but it got its name after the Baron Munchausen of jazz, Milton Mez- Mesro. Um, Mesro was a white musician who called himself a voluntary Negro. <laughs> I read up on him, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> He moved to New York from Chicago in 1929 and began selling marijuana. Um, and then at, overnight, he kind of became one of the most popular figures in Harlem. Um, he became known as the white mayor of Harlem. Um, and the link between the races, <laughs> the man, the man who hipped the world. <laughs> so the man titles. who hipped the, the world. world. Yes, he, he got so many titles. I feel like some of these he gave himself. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. And so the new word was coined after his name, Mez, a Mez roll, was a fat, well-packed marijuana cigarette. So I'm assuming like a blunt? Yeah. yeah that's 
Um, and eventually Mez transcended to literally mean, uh, to meaning came to mean anything genuine or superior in Harlemese. <laughs> and then the third most potent type came from Africa and it was called Gungeon. And it was the most expensive and only those with high incomes could afford it. It was like the luxury of smoking such a high drug. Oh, um, how sexy. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so they would go to these tea pads and they had some choices back then, which I was kind of surprised about. <laughs> as far as different strains? Right. Yeah. No, I just, I just kind of assumed like anyone before like current times just didn't have a choice and they just smoked some like crappy stuff <laughs> like, I mean, you know like we just assume like oh your parents smoke some like gross days I, yeah I I'm there's so much variety now that I don't, you, it's even hard to choose what to get and the fact that they even had you're right like three three choices and one was like really high end it was kind of crazy right? <laughs> how interesting good old Miz. Um, and so, uh, that was in Harlem. So what happened, uh, after that? Oh, so, sorry. I got, I got. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in 1932, there was a musical number, Smoking Reefers, that opened in a review on Broadway starring Mr. Velveteer Clifton Webb. Um, and in the song, he references marijuana as the stuff that dreams are made of. Um, and then another line from the show references at, as the things that white folks are afraid of. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and after this show started, um, there started to be this buzz around town about this menace of marijuana and how all of these blacks and Negroes, you know, were all hopped up on weed and that like children were hopped up on weed and and that, and that's, and that's what was like happening in Harlem. Um, and because of this, that, that kind of stereotype about jazz and marijuana kind of reached it reached overseas to England and there was actually an English periodical called the Melody Maker um, that carried a full page expose on the use of marijuana by British musicians at the time Um, and it pretty much had kind of the same ominous like overtone that like these jazz musicians are coming from America and they're getting all these British musicians addicted to weed and this jazz music. And funny, going back to Harry Anslinger, he actually referenced that magazine article um, in when he was doing his commission, basically as like an example of how of how cannabis how much is it had like, grown. yeah has has negatively affected in in the spread of cannabis. Well, and I mean, I mean, going back to you know talking about jazz and cannabis, you know, I think that's one of the good things about cannabis is that it does make music more enjoyable. So it makes sense that for musicians that they would want to use it when they're creating, because um, I think it just it like just livens up the senses and just allows you to like feel things a little you know more deeply 
or not I don't know sometimes I've smoked and I've just been silly um. <laughs> no yeah I think that the main thing that why we get so many pleasurable experiences from weed or we feel we're more creative or our inhibitions are lowered is just because weed is really good at removing your anxiety and when you remove anxiety and stress from the equation I feel you're more free to create so I don't feel like necessarily you're more creative I feel like you're just the same creative person but you're removing Moving the walls yeah blockages yeah yeah and I think that applies to to everything that you do when you're stoned you know from making music uh eating having sex you know hanging out with your friends uh that's why it's so so fun and like Louis Armstrong said it it, it gives you it's a it's a sort of kinship yeah with other people it's like a really good vibe and I agree like I mean I feel like that's one of those things like if only you know if only we could have just hot boxed the capital um, they would have just wandered out <laughs> Why trying to find something to eat right <laughs> God, if only. That's the solution, people. Big giant hot boxes. For this special episode, because we're talking about cannabis and jazz, I wanted to put together a little playlist with some jazz tunes on it that y'all can listen to and get your jazz on and smoke to. Um, for me, I really got into jazz because my uncle was a trumpeter um, and a music teacher. And so I grew up as like a little kid, like him just listening to jazz all the time and like, huge Louis Armstrong strong fan of course because he's a trumpeter so like all day he would just be like walking around the house playing his trumpet and whatnot and like I remember being little and him like giving me quizzes like he would put on socks and be like who's who's the musician on this and then sometimes he would ask me like weird things like who's playing bass on blah 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 I'm like I don't know (laughs) (laughs) can I go play now right like okay I know a lot but not that's I can't do all of that I'm only um, six years old <laughs> exactly exactly um but I think he was just amused that like a kid even was interested in jazz so <laughs> so I mean that's what I mean I've been that was one of the things that made me interested in burlesque as well was like oh my god getting to dance to jazz music and like mm-hmm. it's not thought of as like some weird or like old thing that people listen <laughs> to um yeah I felt like that was a I I don't know I felt like in any of my other dance experiences that would not have been possible <laughs> for me to really dance to it to some yeah jazz. no that's 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 so true um I love jazz I can't really remember specifically where or how I got into it I I just always found it so um depending on what kind of jazz, but I found it mostly just really soothing. And I can, like, it's one of the few things that I can listen to and, like, study or focus on something else, and it's not distracting. I feel like it, it's, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, it just jibes with, with focusing, I guess. Yeah, for me. I agree. Yeah. I used to date, date a guy that was a trombone player in college, and he was one of the he was in one of the jazz bands and all day he would just listen to the jazz radio station for the university and it was always playing so we were always having sex to this jazz 
And it was, it always seemed like whenever we had sex, it was some like crazy acid, like, that was playing in the background. Like it was just always like, that's what I would always think. Like, why, why is this the song that's playing every time we, we have sex with some, some crazy shit? <laughs> like, I mean, I like that type I of jazz, know. but like when we get into to, to the, to like the acid jazz, Jazz type of situation sometimes that's where they kind of lose it's a little, little wild yeah yeah but yeah so imagine you're just having that's sex so did you try did you try to match the speed oh no it wasn't i mean again like the pieces that we're listening to there, there's like I'm like, where's the beat or the rhythm? Or like, again, like, it was just, like, just horns and... Everyone's playing for themselves. <laughs> right, yeah. And most of the time, I feel like it was really fast, so we definitely weren't going to, like... <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like, what's oh that movie God. that's about the drummer where he plays Caravan? You know what I'm talking about? No. That's, like, it's a... It's, it's a movie that's came out somewhat recently from the past couple of years and it's about the lead the main guy is like a drummer and he goes to this he joins i guess it's a college something he joins their band um it's really hard he plays this they play caravan um i'll think about oh. it i remember later but anyway yeah it's like that <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i've ever had sex to acid jazz i think that would Stress me. I out. mean, I'm pretty sure Miles Davis smoked, and I, I just really? feel, and I feel like, really, <laughs> so I was like you were smoking and you decided to come up with that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them. I mean, a lot of them were also on heroin. Like, I mean, I don't know. There, there yeah, was a a mixture of things happening. Yeah. Well, they. Yeah, there was all kinds of um, drugs involved in that scene. So. I made this playlist back to what I was saying before I oh, got yeah. got on the tangent about having sex to oh. jazz music. <laughs> but yes, I made this Spotify a Spotify playlist, and I'll add it to our website, or you can also look it up on Spotify. It's called Honey's Jazz to Get Stoned By, and it has some of my favorite jazz songs on there. Um, and of course, as Honey was talking about earlier, we we're talking about Vipers. So I definitely have some some Viper jazz on there. But one of the songs actually that has been a pretty popular jazz song about um, smoking. It's called "If You're a Viper." Oh yes. And it was a song actually that most people know it as as a Fats Waller tune, but it was actually originally written written by. Um, Rosetta Howard, a woman, um, and I actually have her version of If You're a Viper on our playlist, so if you want to go listen, you can go listen to it. Um, there's actually quite a few uh, women jazz musicians that have some very nice and dirty songs about, <laughs> about smoking um, on this playlist. Yeah. I think you and I were talking about something a year ago, a couple of years ago, and you had already known about some of these really dirty uh, jazz and blues songs, but I had not. When you were saying dirty, I was like, oh, surely something that you could play in the radio today. 
But no, like these songs are dirty. Yes. Dirty, they dirty. are delightful. Dirty, dirty. Yes. <laughs> like you could not play them on the radio today, dirty. No, not at all. <laughs> um, I, I, we should, I should put together a dirty, a dirty jazz playlist for people. In yes. case they want to uh, listen. I mean, but like I said, this playlist has some has some dirty some dirty. You should make on that it. one. So one for like people to have sex to jazz and then sneak in some acid jazz at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get the full honey experience. Experience, exactly. If you, if you really want to live vicariously through me, you can experience what it's like to fuck to a 10-minute jazz song. <laughs> Uh, there, one of the songs on here I liked is called Texas Tea Party, um, and it's Benny Goodman, and it's actually about a guy whose girlfriend has hit his weed stash. <laughs> but I like that it's called Texas Tea Party because he's from Texas. Great. Uh, but yeah, so check out check out our uh, jazz to get stoned by if you want some tunes to listen to and smoke to and. Listen to some dirty lyrics. That's awesome. I'm always down to following new playlists on Spotify. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, so do we have ideas? Uh, my high idea was a, a high idea f- failure. So I was oh, stoned. No. I was I was stoned the other day. And I was like, man, microwaves are amazing. Like you just like put your food in. And then you get hot food, right? What if there was like a box <laughs> that keeps and makes your food cold? And I thought of that's this. a refrigerator. I that is a refrigerator. That's exactly the conclusion <laughs> I came to after 15 minutes of like, what would that be? And I'm like, oh, it's a fucking freezer. <laughs> <laughs> Besides what a refrigerator is used for. (laughs) (laughs) Like besides, so it won't go bad. That's a great question, honey. I was stoned. (laughs) Okay. Maybe you want like your Doritos frozen. Maybe that could be a thing. Um, Okay. Frozen grapes. Okay. I love frozen grapes. So what if you want like, you know, frozen grapes now? And you can like put them in a freezer and it'll like zap them in a minute and they'll be frozen. That's what I was getting at. But I shared this idea out loud to my husband and he said the same thing. He's like, you mean a refrigerator? Like, well, I mean, can't you use that like liquid freezy stuff, right? Like they, they use on those cooking shows when they want to like make ice cream instantly or whatever. And they like hit it with some But I don't want to be a scientist. I just want a box that does it for me. And I just press well, a button. Well, you already have one of those. Yeah, I know. I just That's can't see any failure. use for that because I don't like any of my food cold. I even warm up stuff that's supposed to be eaten cold. Like what? Like deviled eggs. <laughs> oh, that's weird. And like pie. I always want my pie warm. I don't Oh, pie cold. warm. Is, yeah, that like makes pasta sense. salad. I like to take it out and let it sit out till it gets room temperature. Hmm, okay. So I, I tend to like things room temperature or hot. Yeah, you don't you don't need a cold box. No, uh uh. No. That was my failed high idea. Sometimes I even blow my ice cream. Sometimes what? 
sometimes I even blow my ice cream. You blow it? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like hot soup? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. One time well, my husband caught me doing that. He's like, why are you blowing my ice cream? And I'm like, I'm melting it. <laughs> well, that's not so weird, I don't think, because I, I microwave my ice cream. For like 10 seconds to get it soft enough to eat it with a spoon because I hate fighting my ice cream and stabbing it. So yeah, that makes sense. But I've never, I never thought of blowing it. I'm going to try that next time. It worked. In your honor. <laughs> <laughs> or you're like. <laughs> you're just going to pant at it. <laughs> Whichever way warms it up faster. But also I, like, I take the ice cream out and I let it sit for a little bit. So that way, when I go to scoop it out, it's it's kind of soft because I don't yeah. want it to be like super solid. No, I do the same thing. That makes sense. Well, it's a great I high idea. Think, I, it's probably because I got some teeth sensitivity. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. It hurts. Um, like I don't bite popsicles. Oh, I thought that's so weird. Like David was making fun of me because I was eating a ice cream sandwich all weird, where like I licked all the inside out of the ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I just left the two cookies. <laughs> I took the two cookies apart and I ate them. <laughs> Doesn't he know that you're a very, very special kind of eater? Right, right. He should by now. I think so, but you would think so. He's always surprised. Guess that's a good thing, right? Yes, surprise Keep, him every keeping day. Keeping him on his toes with my... Eat ice cream in a weird way. <laughs> Weirdness. <laughs> well. Oh, I, and this is not my idea. I got this one off Twitter. I thought it was funny. <clears throat> it's a guy called Tony the Killer. And he says, A jingle you play to let the ice cream man know you want him to come there. <laughs> <laughs> like a bad That's signal. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, like a bad single. That's signal. like the like the adult reverse of like like I running up after an ice cream truck. So you come to me. <laughs> so yeah, you could also use your logic on this and say it's called a phone. Yeah, it's called that's an true. app. That's true. <laughs> it's that called an true. app, you and you totally order get ice cream delivered. Yes, yes, yes. But I thought it was funny. Even though I'm like, what if somehow they put your ice cream delivery in one of those delivery groups where it's like going to other places and then by the time you get your ice oh, cream, it's melted. melted. Yeah, I feel like I it's a slippery slope delivering ice cream unless they're like a certified ice cream deliverer and they've got some kind of crazy, yeah, like storage situation. One could hope, honey. I mean, I did delivery for a little bit and I never was equipped to deliver I didn't have anything to keep ice cream solid. So you just ate it? (laughs) Just said it. (laughs) So I ate it. (laughs) Oops, I forgot your ice cream. (laughs) That was my only order. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) They just gave me an empty bag. (laughs) Not your problem. Not at all. All right, well, I guess we better round this uh, episode up. Well, thank you for listening to episode four about jazz and cannabis. I hope you get a good buzz going on and listening to Honey's playlist. Yeah, listen to our playlist. Smoke some. 
And we hope you enjoy our next episode, which is cannabis and sex. Sex, 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 sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about cannabis. And Let's talk about all the <laughs> all weed the and the body parts that we put on. And we smoke Let's it and we talk about, about it. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. Yes. <laughs> Again, that's another one that's going on our album. Yes, yes. <laughs> and our poems. We're going to yes. do the let's talk about cannabis sex one. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank, thank you, for, you for listening to us. To our stone shenanigans. Ta-ta. We appreciate it. Stay high. Stay high. Bye. 